Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome back to another episode of the Comedy Bureau Field Report. The Comedy Bureau Field Report is a member of the Believe Podcast family. That's spelled B L E A V. That is why. In your favorite podcast platform, it probably still reads Believe in the Comedy Bureau Field Report. Um, our network, that's the name of the network. I They changed our platform where their podcast is hosted, and maybe they changed the name of the podcast to just say the Comedy Bureau Field Report, as I intended. But um, I haven't checked. So if it's still wrong, then it's their fault. And... Uh, well, they give me ads sometimes, so I'll stop talking. Uh, and on to this week's amazing guest, um, a person that like I feel like we're we started relatively at the same time. Although he like he has his own story of like starting before that, taking a break, whatever. But he is one of my favorite comedians, and I'm so glad whenever he's around. And thankfully, that's so much because he's done so many of. LA's best shows and podcasts and so many other things. Women sketch group. Uh, please give it up for Dave Ross, everybody. Hello. Hello, Jake. Thank you for Welcome. having me. Absolutely. Hello. Here we are in two different mom's houses. Two different mom's houses, for sure. Yes. <laughs> I'm going to bet, and thank goodness my mom doesn't listen to this, that the mom's house you're in is much nicer in tone is it nicer in the sense that the people inside of the house are nice correct the house itself is nice oh okay probably I mean, both actually well i mean the problem with what you just said there is that i'm at my girlfriend's mom's house so uh -huh. even if she were like a horrible horrible person i couldn't say it she's not she's great but right. is your mom horrible <laughs> is your mom not nice my mom is a lot of things, and one of those things is mean. Your mom's mean, really? Wow. She, would she say that? She would never say that, but she also would uh, never deny that she enjoys um, ridiculing customer service people. Okay. That's not nice. Well, that's not nice. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's just patently not nice. I will say that. I don't have a lot of patience for customer service people. Right. I don't think I'm mean to them, but I, I have no problem hanging up on them. Sure. No, but my mom takes pleasure in almost a Karen fashion of like, mm. there's maybe not even a real problem, but she's like taking every opportunity to go talk to the manager. I see. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's a Karen too. Mm -hmm. It's tough, dude. It's, uh, I really tried to dissuade her from her Karen-ish ways. Uh -huh. She's not one of the worst of the Karen. She's not she's not racist. Like, I don't think my mom would ever call the cops on a black person. It's not like those videos. Sure. But, like, she's not like a bad person. <laughs> but right. but she is like. She is like one. She will talk to the manager sometimes. Right. Right. My yeah, mom complained that last summer that the BLM protests were going on so long and uh, she hated it because she wanted to go shopping again. Holy moly. That's yeah. wild. Yeah. That's that's crazy. Yeah. She's that's not you even know what's white. funny about that is that I actually think this very frequently lately. Where mm -hmm. like whenever I hear something like that, 
I think, two things. The mm. first is, damn, that's racist. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing is, and you don't even know to keep your mouth shut. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, right. Like, that's two layers of being a dumbass. Like, you, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry to call your mom a dumbass, but it, it's, you know, it's a dumbass. She's not here. I'm house sitting. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just think, like, you look at the internet, we all look at the internet, and you know that everyone yells at each other all the time. Right. And this, like, thought, you should, I guess it's just sort of like, I guess it's good. I guess it means that they're not aware that it's wrong. But right. I'm aware it's wrong. And if I were to have such a horrible thought, I wouldn't tell anyone. Right. <laughs> yeah. But like, I guess I also wouldn't have it. But still, like, I'm just shocked at how willing people are to just like share their worst thoughts. Right. How do you not know? Yeah. Well, that's, you know. I mean, that goes into like bubbles and stuff. And people, right. because we live in such politicized times, they just take, what you know they wake up in their team's jersey and never take it off right and right. Uh, that's definitely my mom who i mean i don't know i know where my where are they huh? in orange county are your parents in orange county almost they're in downey which is like right near orange county right that's right yeah and uh i hate being here <laughs> so much. is it is downey also Republican? Are they Republicans is what I was asking. I mean, you know, it's hard to say. There's a heavy Latino population in Downey. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually very diverse. There's like a lot of Korean people, a lot of uh, Hispanic people. There's um, of all kinds, too. Uh, there are Mexicans, there are Cubans. There are a lot of people from South America. Uh, and there's a, a decent enough Greek population. Mm-hmm. But um What's weird is I just read like a month ago, somebody is developing a series called the Mexican Beverly Hills. Okay. And it's set in Downey as if to suggest that Downey is the Mexican Beverly Hills. I've been to Downey and yeah. it's Mexican. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I yeah, mean, yeah. is there a part like they call Baldwin Hills, Black Beverly Hills. Right. And that makes, makes sense. sense because it's crazy nice. It's so nice. Right. Is Downey nice? I haven't no. been to the nice part. <laughs> it, there is a, okay, so Northeastern Downey does have houses that are big. Okay. Are they nice? Not really. They're actually, they actually, they're these like cookie cutter mansions that are all these sort of like Mexican ranch style mansions that are two stories uh, tall have saltillo tile roofs and these obnoxious, like gigantic iron rot doors. And they all look the same. Huh? Yeah. And that's supposed to be the nice part of Downey. Okay. Well, (laughs) I think, yeah, I laughed when I read that premise that they're like calling Downey the Mexican Beverly Hills. Cause it's, it's like, the selling points for Downey is that you have access to like four freeways. Yeah, totally. And, and then, and then it's like equidistant from Laguna beach, long beach, San yeah. Pedro and LA. Yeah. It's like where Downey is, right? Yeah. It's like nowhere, but you can get to work. Yeah. No matter what. <laughs> I remember there was a point in time that Downey's website that like the website for the city um, in trying to At sell Downey. the city. Com. 
Yeah. <laughs> I go there every day. Right. Oh man. Such great updates. They, <laughs> at one point, so there's like a stretch of um, like retail where there was like a office depot, no office max next to a home depot next to like an off-brand Lowe's next to a party city. And they claimed that that was the greatest concentration of home improvement in America. Wow. <laughs> That's another one of those double things. It's like, it seems like you got that wrong, <laughs> but even if you didn't, who gives a fuck? Yeah, uh, no one gives a fuck. <laughs> no one cares at all. I do not care that an Ikea is next to a Target. That is not important to no. me. Also, like, if a Home Depot is near an Office Max, that's stupid. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess there's a lot of things that you can't get at one that you can get at the other, but there's also some overlap there. Yeah. I don't know. By the way, I went to a Staples the other day because I have an office now, which feels great. Did you know that you can just get one? It's crazy. Yeah. I Caleb and I have one. Right. For our podcast, and I also use it to work out of. Right. Um, my rent is four ninety five a month. It's totally. I thought that you had to like have money yeah. or prestige, but you right. you can just get one. They just let you have one. Oh yeah. Um, so we needed some stuff for the office, and specifically because we record our podcast in there, mm -hmm. I wanted to get a countdown clock. And any clock would do. Like, obviously, the bottom of the list would be a, uh, uh, like, circular dial clock mm -hmm. with hands. Right. But that would have been fine. An alarm right. clock would have been fine. A stopwatch would have been the best. Staples mm -hmm. does not sell clocks. Wow. Really? That? Isn't that insane? That is insane. No alarm clocks. No regular clocks. Nothing. There they had a punch clock you could buy. And it costs like two hundred dollars. Oh, for uh, punching it, punching yep. into work. And the woman behind the counter acted like I was a fucking idiot. I was like, <laughs> "Do you have That's... alarm clocks in here?" And she was like, "What? No." And I was like, "We mean what? No." <laughs> I feel like a clock is still a thing, people. I know we all have a phone, but right, they still have clocks at work, right? Yeah, I mean, they I do. That's so crazy because I've seen clocks at like Office Max and Office Depot. Yes. Best Buy, Target, they have right. clocks. Right. And she was like, fuck you, you dumbass. Yeah. But you well, that's why Staples Center is now Crypto.com Center. Dude, how wild is that? That is wild. Like and Go on. Sorry. I, I might. I don't know. This is like some old guy shit, maybe. But I really wonder how long that's going to last. Like, obviously, crypto is experiencing a spike yeah but it's so volatile mm -hmm. as a, a money-making mechanism i just really wonder i don't know nfts i just really think obviously digital currencies and online currencies online shopping exchanging mm -hmm. money online this is not going anywhere right but i really do wonder at like if we're not going to see the like a new Great Depression because of what happens when that shit all falls apart. Right. right? right. Yeah. I like I the crypto.com yeah. center might be a war zone in five right. years. 
Right. <laughs> yeah, it might be. It, which is crazy. I mentioned this last episode. Like, you remember in basketball all those years ago how they made fun of stadiums being named after, like, brands? Right. And it feels like if uh, whenever that movie was made, like, what, like 1998 or something? Yeah. Like, if they mentioned Crypto.com Stadium, you'd be like, that's funny, guys. What is LOL. that? Totally. Yeah. No, that definitely sounds like a joke about right now. Yeah. It doesn't even, you know why, especially because it's not a brand any of us have heard of. That's why it's right. so funny, right? Right. It'd be like if it were Dogecoin Stadium, that would be similarly fucking stupid, but at least we would all be like, oh, yeah, I know right. what that is. Bitcoin yeah. Stadium. But crypto.com is just this website that right. exchanges digital currencies. I, I saw the Matt Damon ad for it. When I went to see Eternals, uh -huh. have you seen the commercial? No, I haven't. I didn't oh my know god, either. watch it! There's okay. a, it's basically a trailer for Crypto.com. Right, and it's Matt Damon and, and he's quoting fucking William Blake or something. It's <laughs> un fucking believable. It's like, it's like true heroes don't stop when they reach the top, the uh -huh. apex of the mountain. Uh -huh. They jump to, they jump to grab onto the stars or whatever fucking dumb right and then it's like crypto.com you're like what <laughs> <laughs> i thought i thought this was gonna be an ad for north face right uh man man i feel like at this point in time like that sort of aggressive advertising and branding would discourage me from using it like yes. i would actually actively look for another crypto trading site because of what 100 percent yeah. Well, I mean, I do think that that speaks to like I was saying before about your your mom thinking this this like thing that's not OK to think. And then also being comfortable saying it. Yeah, I do think that maybe it's like a quality. A personality trait mm -hmm. that is just like very rampant that it's like a lack of self-awareness or or more like a. More than that, it's like a lack of being plugged into what's going on. Right. Um, that I don't know if it's been around forever or if it always will be or if it's just like right now. But I do think that, like, there is a surprising amount of uh, lack of awareness of what's happening mm -hmm. in the world right now, which right. is just so strange to me because we're all so inundated with the information Right. And the emotions around the information, like we're all so aware of all of the emotionality of everything that's happening. Right. Because everyone is allowed to publicly comment on everything and we right. all have a news feed. And mm -hmm. so like like the biggest example of that is how companies are still being like, you know, like Chevron will be like, happy pride. <laughs> right. Like, what are you doing? Like we all lived through the pandemic right and watched every major corporation take uh advantage of black lives matter to try to sell products right and now we all every even the most centrist politically centrist uh unopinionated person sees that it's hypocritical and uh taking advantage for any corporation or government entity to 
to to say anything about any marginalized group. We like know that they're doing it to try to sell products or to get us to vote for them. It's obvious. Right. It wasn't obvious 10 or 15 years ago. People still bought into it. But now we were all fucked for a year by right. a disease and our government. And we can yep. all see it. Man, I'm like going on a rant. I'm so <laughs> fucking, yeah. I'm so pissed off politically now. It's, I get it. Yeah. It, yeah, we all are, right? It's weird because I have like a bit about it. So I'm sorry. But mm-hmm. I've always been liberal. But now I'm like fully just so mad. I just really feel like. The world had its chance to try to take care of each other, and right. the powers that be just didn't. And yeah. I, I say, like, governments and corporations just fucked us, and they don't care. Clearly, they want money. They'd be happy if we died, but then they wouldn't get our money, so we're not allowed to die. And right. uh, anyway, how insane is it that companies, people, mm-hmm. governments, politicians, they don't get. They just aren't seeing that we can see it. And it's all across the board. And I don't right. remember exactly. Oh, yeah. Like you were saying, Crypto.com, their commercial. I'm on a mountain. I'm on a mountain. Swim across the ocean. Climb a mountain and cover the world in gold. Crypto.com. Of course, <laughs> we're all going to be like, fuck that. Yeah. But, but they do it anyway because people don't update their understanding of the world regularly. Right? Yeah. Right. Man, no, is this I a think... comedy podcast? Because I I don't think I've been funny in four minutes. I <laughs> was just going to ask, is this how you're opening good heroin now? <laughs> dude, I have to watch it. I mean, dude, I, I did like I, I've had like three or four mental health podcasts over the mm-hmm. years and I stopped doing that. Right. Literally, because I can go either way. I can right. go dark. I can go silly. I like both. Right. I think both are valid. I think both are good for the world. Yeah. But I'm a comedian and that's that's the thing that makes me feel the best because mm-hmm. if I go dark, then I'll just get on this rant right. and all of a sudden I feel bad. Right. <laughs> and I want to stay silly. I think it's better for me and everybody else. Well, I think that's the core of your comedy, Dave, is that you balance and hold at the same time silly and dark. Oh, that's nice. I try yeah, like, to remember- and I will say in order to do it, I do have to err on the side of silly. Yes. What I just said is true. If you're like someone who's like super into feelings, Mm -hmm. man, I swear to God, my fake AirPods (laughs) have got to stop falling out of my ears. This isn't Um, a bit, listeners. uh, Dave has off-brand fake AirPods. I didn't want to spend $200. And it it turns out that there's a reason for the $200. Um, Yeah. I mean, go go and like on the sad tip mm-hmm. it can it's weird how like if you're going silly you can dip down into depressive shit and right. go back into silly no problem right but if you're in like a depressive you gotta like work on pulling out of it <laughs> yes absolutely and i might yeah. i think my roommate doesn't understand that a they're not a comedian but they try because i am they like yeah. try to be funny all the time mm-hmm. and they're only funny when they're not trying but sure. def- definitely they're a person who is like depressed, even has like PTSD uh, and like their attempts out of like just being darkly funny just come off as just like, I, oftentimes I just want to say like, you should write that down and unpack that later. <laughs> yeah. Go to therapy. Yes. She's been to, to therapy, therapy longer than both of us. Hmm. Well, that's good. Mm-hmm. But um, 
Yeah, I mean, I, I well, not only have you ran mental health, numerous mental health podcasts, like one was about like your, you say feelings. I mean, I think it was about like your anxieties and fears. And another one was just about suicide. Yeah. And I mean, poof, I mean, just to say that's like a mental health. I mean, like that's, you're going on the deep end. Totally. I, uh, I mean, I think about mental health a lot and I think it's good to talk about it a lot. And also it felt like my niche. So Mm -hmm. I felt like I should lean into it. Right. And I felt like it was interesting. Like, honestly, I'll take to my grave that talking about a different person in history who took their own life every week is one of the best ideas for a podcast ever. Right. Um, I loved it. Yeah, no, and I still do. And, and you know, maybe we'll we'll do it again sometime. I, I don't know. Uh, but I but I leaned into that because all things those things are true, but also because I felt like since these are this is my thing and I feel this way. I should I should like. In an on the nose way, go for it. I should be yeah. like this. I talk about mental health now. Right. And I definitely but I but I never wanted it to to I never wanted to be defined exclusively by that. Right. And that's the one problem in this world with doing that. You become you you we had to do that every week. Mm-hmm. And uh and doing that every week until the end of time, first of all, definitely can make you sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like for sure. But also, it's not what I want to do. Right. And, uh, and I will say one thing that I'm really liking about comedy now, having been around like 12 years. Right. I'm a lot more comfortable with myself as, uh, as a person in general. And right. I'm a lot more comfortable with the reality that I am funny. Yes. And uh, I am who I am. And, uh, and I now know mm-hmm. that I'll just end up talking about mental health no matter what. Mm-hmm. Because I think about it. Right. And so if I just make a regular comedy show, we'll go there. Right. But I don't have to. And yes. that's way preferable to me. You know, what's funny, too, is that I think probably my career would pick up steam faster mm-hmm. if I kept that in my, like, story. Right. I'm the mental health guy. Right. But uh, because that gives people a thing to latch on to, like with Doug Benson, you know? Sure. But or even get more power to doing that because yeah. having a career is hard. Right. But I honestly would rather wait longer. I also could be wrong. Maybe it wouldn't help at all. But I would rather <laughs> wait longer because right. I because it just bothers me so much to feel like I have to do literally anything. Like right. I don't want to do anything anyone tells me to do, even me. Right. <laughs> I get that, man. I totally, totally understand that. I mean, first off, I think I think it's crazy. I feel like in comedy we talk about mental health so much, and I do think because it's a positive thing, but then when you talk to other people, non-comedy people, people especially who don't even go to comedy shows, it feels like we still don't even talk about it enough. Oh, um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Anyone <laughs> talking about it anytime is always healthy. And the only time people when, that people talk about mental health and it bugs me um, in a public setting is when they act like everybody already knows what they're talking about. Right. Um, you Nobody knows what we're talking about. And nope. so starting from the basics is great. And yeah. just like over and over again saying, you know, you're loved, you're valid. Uh, feeling alone is normal. We all feel this. 
Right. Just it's also like even if you've heard it a million times, hearing it one more time, that might be the time you needed to hear it. You know. Right. Yeah. I mean, Jake Weissman. Uh, who is that? <laughs> yeah. Who is that? Do we even know? He's that Twitter comedian. <laughs> that Twitter knife comedian. Yeah, the Twitter. Oh, my God. That's right. The knives. Oh, my God. Man, Jake Weissman is. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I know anyone as good at creating a cult of identity uh, yeah. as Jake. Yep. Jake is like he did numerous things like that. Right. Right. So, okay, I mean, if you're listening, you don't know who we're talking about, which would make sense because he's he's deleted all his social media and he doesn't do stand up anymore. But Jake Weissman is uh, one of the best comedians uh, of all time, I I would say. Honestly, it pisses me off that he quit stand up if Mm -hmm. only because there's not an album out there that I could fucking listen to. Yeah. Um, But he's one of our (laughs) friends. He's like uh, we he and I came up together in comedy the whole way. Did women Uh, together. Yeah, we were in a sketch group together. We had a storytelling show together. We toured together. Uh, we still hang out. I was in his TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my best friends. And he's just not, I don't know. He he sold a TV show called Corporate. They mm-hmm. made that. And they made three seasons of it with Comedy Central. And it was him, Matt Ingebrets, and Pat Bishop. And, uh, and from it, created a production company from which they are now like creating other TV shows. Uh, right. they sold and, and are now making this fool, the Chris Estrada Hulu show that'll right. come out at some point. Oh, it's but called anyway, this fool. It's called this fool. Yeah. It was called punk ass bitch, but they changed it to this fool. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Cause Hulu Which got scared. <laughs> yeah. Pussies. <laughs> Hulu. Uh-huh. Now I've ironically said the word pussy as an insult twice on your show. Mm-hmm. And I don't normally do that. And so I just wanted to take a moment to say that, I guess. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Much appreciated. But corporations well, are know. people. I, so, it, it, you know, nobody fucking cares but me. But I like go through. I just try to be like, I don't know. I'm weird with the words. I'll do, you know, I'll joke around about fucking anything. But anything right. that has to do with misogyny is mm-hmm. strange because we all sort of like the words bitch and pussy. Mm-hmm. For a while, all of the female identifying people in my life for a while were like, come on, can we please stop? And I was like, OK, sure. Yeah, we should stop right but now. I don't know. I think that um, we were all like, we're all like, ah, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Is sort of what's happening. But uh-huh. I don't know. I still feel sort of weird about it. Right. So that's why I said that. But anyway. Jake would mm-hmm. post uh, he had an Instagram account. Right. On which every single photo contained a knife. Yeah. And he had like a Twitter equivalent, which was he didn't post photos of knives, but basically every tweet was just psychotic. Right. Uh, And by pictures of knives, he would even spell words out with knives. He would get multiple kitchen knives and spell out. words. Yeah, totally. He started like occasionally he would want to post a photo of something he was promoting or mm-hmm. just like someone he wanted to promote and he right. would put knife emojis over it right. just in order to make it fit his brand. Right. Um, and he also like, 
like it's interesting, right? He's the he's one of the only people that's ever done that that I like. I respect it top to bottom, and yes. I guess I don't like disrespect um, the idea of creating a thing in comedy because, like I said, this shit is hard. But right. it is. We know what you're doing, but when right. he did it, it felt completely organic. Like he always wore a cat shirt when he did right. stand up. Why right. is that any different than any other thing any other comedian did? I don't know, but right. I do like it more. <laughs> I, yes. I don't know why. I feel like it does come from a genuine place versus like, I don't know. That's what it is. Like, yeah. Moneyball your persona on stage. Right. Yeah. Right. That's exactly what it is. It felt like it all fit. Like, like Jake. And it would, wasn't limiting. That's what it was. It wasn't limiting. Right. That's what bugs me when other people do it. Doug Benson's a great example. Like, very funny guy. I don't know him that well, but right. I respect him a great deal. Insanely mm -hmm. funny. And I look at what he's doing, and I'm like, fuck, that sucks, man. That seems limiting. Yeah. That he's yeah. The, he is the weed comedian. Always will be. Yeah. And kind of always need needs to be. I think. Yeah. yeah. So Jake, with all of what you just learned about that Jake, um, in 2012, he told me to go to therapy and he like followed up and emailed me places that were sliding scale. Cause I would, I, I, Maple, you know, did you go to Maple Counseling Center? Yeah, that was one of them. Uh, yeah. I, the Southern California Counseling Center is the one I did go to. And, uh, but he, yeah, he followed up and he was like, here are these places. Like if you have trouble affording it. And I didn't do anything about it for four years. Sure. Until literally I, another friend of mine asked me how I was doing. And I, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if you've had moments like this where she was like, so how's it going, Jake? And I half jokingly said, oh, I don't like being alive. And then she like grabbed me. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And then was like, I want you to go do intake at a therapy place. And then I want you to do it in the next 48 hours. And I want you to call me after it's done. I'm really, wow. yeah. And I was like, okay, I'm like scaring people. I need uh, this. I, I don't want to do that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So well, we all need it hammered into our heads. I had a similar thing happened, man. Mm -hmm. Jake from the moment I met him was like, go to therapy. You clearly need it. And then four years later, I finally did after he had told me to do it like a hundred fucking times. He's absolutely the reason I went to therapy. Yeah. And I went to a sliding scale place. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. And it was more, I mean, like, honestly, he had said it a bunch to me. And then Lizzie Cooperman also went to Maple Counseling Center. Right. And I think that's what pushed me over the edge. Yeah. You need a, you need a man who's obsessed with cats and knives to tell you a bunch. But then when you find out women go, you're like, oh, okay, I should go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but the second part of, you know, I, I totally understand why you don't want to like lean into having a mental health comedian identity is like I, you know, over the years have talked more and more about being adopted and it, it hasn't become a concern yet, but it is in the back of my mind sometimes like, is this all that like my comedy is going to be, I'm going to be like the adopted comedian because I talk about right. it most. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, I think that that's not going to be the case, but yeah. I think that it's I think the fact that you're thinking about it is good. I think it's always I mean, I think it's I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot coming out of quarantine. Mm -hmm. It's really hard 
to make any headway in entertainment at all. It's yeah. just difficult, and it always will be. Yep. Because it's everybody's dream. Yep. Not everybody, but it's millions of people's dream. Right. And a lot of them try. Mm -hmm. And uh, because of that, but also at the same time, your dream is very specific to you. Yes. So it's so hard. And you have a very specific image of where you want to be. That is right. the reason that you're in it. Right. And uh, it's not really worth doing it unless mm -hmm. you keep trying to get to exactly where you want to be. Right. Because, like, the most likely thing that will happen is you won't get there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, if you're not even doing what you want along the way, right. and you're not even aiming for the dream that you have, mm -hmm. then it's not worth it. Might as well not do it. And, yeah. Uh, and yeah, man, I'm, like, I'm going through this thing now where – so I, like, through working in comedy, got myself to – headliner status mm -hmm. and that's um depending on which booker you talk to arguable <laughs> right right and what year uh, well, would you know you what i mean like I, that. what's that and what year would you say you like achieved headliner status well i mean the thing is that i was a headliner four years in right because five years in because that's when i did my first tour Right. And I when that. I did that, I just like booked myself at places and I was a headliner. And the first time I did it, mm -hmm. I was like headlining alt shit on the road, alt shows like non club shit. And so I assumed I was doing the alt show version of headlining. Right. Doing 20 to 30 after five to seven comedians each did a short set. Right. But the first like tiny tour I ever booked on my own. The second show of those I did, it was three people each doing nine minutes, then me. And I was like, oh, my God, I'm doing an hour. I have to. And I was, like, forced to. Right. And so that sort of, like, kicked me over the precipice, uh, broke my cherry, as they say, having done an hour. And I was like, oh, I've done an hour. I That's what doing an hour is like. Okay, I can do an hour. Um, so there was that. There was the fact that five years in, I was doing an hour. Right. But then it was really it was really like I and I actually I, the thing I'm more talking about is I would say after like a few years of doing that mm -hmm. was when I was like, oh, this is my job. Right. And. And yeah, so like I could tell you, you know, if you're if you're listening and you're a comic and you want to be a headlining comedian, uh, you decide when that's true, because yeah. quite frankly, I I did it early. Mm -hmm. And my set suffered as a result. I wasn't ready, but right. I got the fuck ready. Right. I just doing an hour will sharpen you up as a comedian like that. Right. And um, by the end of my first two month tour, I, I knew what I was doing. I right. didn't completely know what I was doing. And I certainly bombed sometimes. <laughs> but like at the end of my first two month tour in 2014, I headlined the Hollywood Improv and uh, I. But I had an amazing set. I was yeah. like sharp and tight and it was, you know, I think um, I've been there. Yeah. I think I remember that. I think you were. Yeah. yeah. No, it was great, man. I sold it out. I mean, it was yeah. cool. Cause I also, I started in LA. Mm -hmm. I was five years in right. also. I mean, that year was fucking crazy for me because I did 
WTF and Drunk History, and they both came out wow. during that tour. Right. And it was just like a crazy – what's that? 2014, 2015? 2014. Yeah. 2014. I mean, that's the wild thing about L.A. is, like, you get exposed – early and so like argue I, I would argue that i those things happened for me early right um but also i had known those people for years mm-hmm. by you know by the time it happened so anyway um I, and i'll also say this when you do wtf and drunk history and then you tour and you headline the hollywood improv when you're four to five years into comedy uh you then uh you are you there are then ex- expectations of you <laughs> <laughs> yeah that uh, you either meet or you do not and yeah. i can tell you that i did not meet some of my expectations and i deserved that and right. that's just how comedy goes i right. think about that every time something happens to someone early in comedy or someone uh jamie loftus and i were on a show recently where a guy who had never done stand up before Right. did stand up because the projector broke and he was like the contestant in a game. It was hard times live. Oh, okay. And he did this set where he killed uh-huh. and he was just up there and he, because the, no, he just had the mic and there was right. nothing else he could do. Right. Um, and they were trying to fix the projector and the guy was like, Oh, I'm from Canada and everything he said crushed. And right. it was because of the situation. And I yeah. remember talking and the guy was just so smug about how he was killing. And he was like, wow, my girlfriend, I told her I could do stand up and my girlfriend said I never could, but I but she was wrong, man. I, yeah. I definitely I'm like good at this. And Jamie uh-huh. was so mad. <laughs> and I and I don't blame her. Like it was right. it was annoying. It was like he was right. like, Wow, I'm good. But we had this conversation after where I was like, Don't worry. He'll get his comeuppance. That's what I, that's what this is. Right. No one gets away with this shit. No, even the people that you think of that are famous that get Netflix specials and you think their specials suck, they get their comeuppance all the fucking time, (laughs) all the time, all the time. Yeah, it's how it is. And it doesn't feel good to bomb. And if you're bad, you bomb all the time, because if you're good, you bomb some of the time. Yeah. So if you're bad, you eat shit constantly. Yeah. And uh, that's just how it is. So anyway, um, I this is all a long way to say. That all happened to me, and then I had a lot of eating shit and a lot of growth and and stuff, right. and uh and uh, I'm and I kept touring and I kept getting good at it, and then once I started, I like started getting, and that's not to say I didn't have good sets in there, and that I wasn't ready in certain ways, and 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 who knows, maybe I'm selling myself short. I don't fucking know. I just like to know where I'm at, right. and um, I came at it from the like sort of like punk alt touring angle mm-hmm. where you like just ask where mm-hmm. you put together your own shows. And, uh, and after doing that for a handful of years and I was doing it regularly and I started to get booked by clubs, I was like, okay, this is my job. And I was getting writing gigs here and there, you know, little right. ones. And, uh, and I was like, okay, it's meager, but this is my job. Right. And I felt that way probably for four years, five years. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, again, meager and scared and not always having money. And, you know, uh, I fold T-shirts in a warehouse sometimes. Right. But that's, but that's kind of what we signed up for. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I all artists uh, should should have a part time day job at their disposal if they can, I think. Right. But um, anyway, 
kind of because of like the combination of everything I've just said, which is that like it's always growth, right. but this is my job. Mm-hmm. I've been coming out of quarantine. Mm-hmm. I I have taken myself mentally for myself. I've sort of like removed myself from headliner status. Okay. And I've, I've stopped. I am now decided like I'm not going to treat the doing being a stand-up headliner as my job for now. Right. Okay. Because I did a weekend mm-hmm. and I, th- it was in Boston. It was at the hideout and the hideout is great. And I think I did well here. I think I had good sets. I think it was fine, mm-hmm. but I also don't think it was anything particularly special. I, uh, I did my job. Right. And I don't like that. I, I'm not here to do my fucking job. I'm not here to be a passable work like do the work comedian. I'm here right. to be something special. I'm right. here to like make interesting things. Right. And you know, maybe some people would disagree about those sets, but I had like, I'm not doing a lot of my old shit. I'm not doing my album stuff. I'm not right. doing a lot of stuff I wrote pre pandemic and right. I'm figuring out what the hour is. And then these people paid and I feel a lot of pressure to perform right. for them and do well and give them a nice evening. And that pressure kind of like, stops me from being completely freewheeling and adventurous. And if I'm going to find the specific me, the like really, the really interesting best version of what Dave Ross is and has to offer in entertainment, I need room to grow and experiment and fuck around. Right. And, uh, and headlining where that's not my priority Right. Uh, is detracting from that, I think. And that was that's sort of like going back to what we were saying about keeping an image of what your actual goal is. Right. Is my goal to be a working headliner? No. no. Is it something I like? Is it something that's part of it that I want to do? Yeah. Right. But I want to, like, make comedy that people are like, whoa, like Rory. And I yeah. think that sometimes I can touch on that at this right. point. But I don't think I'm... I'm there with the regularity that a person like Rory is where Rory can like almost sell at Largo. And then I'm just going to riff the whole time. Yes. But also I would say that Rory only recently started to be able to sell out Largo. And it's been years that he has been this adventurous specific comedian who does exactly him. And I think that Rory has like, I've actually talked, I've talked to Rory about learning standup and his dedication to learning how to be a good comedian is it's incredible. It is yeah. like he told me that he he hated every you know what when one of the most common things you hear comedians say is I hate watching tapes of myself. Right. And Rory was like I hated watching tapes of myself, but I knew that if I wanted to be the comedian I wanted to be I needed to learn I needed to love my own stand up. And right. so he made himself watch tapes of himself in order to train himself to when he's on stage, not do things that he thinks is annoying. Right. And I think about that fucking all the time. I do. When I, I notice myself during even my best sets doing little sort of like ticks Mm -hmm. or stand up tropes. I get caught up in. Right. Because I like want the audience to like me or whatever. Right. I like repeat a line that was a riff from a long time ago. Yeah. I I personally think is a little hack, but the audience would never know. Mm-hmm. Rory like actively trained himself to never do any of that, wow. and I think that's one. That's like one of the things I'm talking about. Like at a yeah. certain point in stand up, 
the growth and the learning, mm-hmm. it gets like specific and minute and requires like a great deal of focus and thinking about it yeah. in order to get yourself to this next place. And I think Rory worked on that really, really, really fucking hard for decades. Yeah, um, absolutely. I would also on top put of being just a straight up fucking genius. Yeah, I put Pepitone in there too. And Eddie, Eddie experiments so much. You'll mention a bit that you love to him like two weeks later. And he's like, oh yeah, that was good. And like, he totally just, um, it was totally ephemeral. Oh my God. About it. Those two guys, those two guys and Maria. Yep. I like the, the, like the writing, mm-hmm. the, the Maria's writing. I strive to be that type of a writing comedian. Right. And then I also, I would kill to be that in the moment. Like if I, man, honestly, I would love to get to a place in stand up where I, every time I walk on the stage, uh, I'm, it's completely different. Now, I also love writing so much that I would love to be a writerly comedian like Maria Bamford. But like, but man, the most fun I have is just going off the top of my head. And what's cool is that that mm-hmm. can involve writing too. And you see it in Eddie and Rory. And right. I just really, that's my real goal. That's what I want. I want to be so connected to who I am and what I'm doing and what I'm thinking and what's funny and how to perform it. That mm-hmm. I don't have to pref- I don't have to fucking prepare. I just yeah. go off my brain, and right. I think I can get there. I just really think that because uh, I've done it sometimes. I have like some touches on it. I, I did like my evening at Nerd Melt, which was yeah, obviously Nerd Melt's not there anymore, so they don't do those. But mm-hmm. that was like five or six years in. I had this rare night of like I barely did any material, mm-hmm. doing a fucking. Headline. I guess it was like 35 or 40, but I feel like right. it was an hour. Anyway, uh, I like really that night went almost completely off the dome. Like I did material as well, but it was like it all flowed together and I was just really right. moving off of my brain. And yeah. since then, especially, I've been like, oh, I can do that. Yeah. I, but I, what I want to do is I want to do it every fucking time. And it's hard. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard so to mo. It's so fun. Most of the time I'm, I'm like in my head and, and right. thinking about, and I've had a lot of good sets mm-hmm. being in my head and thinking about it. And so have so many people, but man, mm-hmm. to just be right. Totally in the moment. Fuck. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, I think I've, I mean, we all kind of suffer through and go through our uh, paces as we're growing as comedians, but like, I think, like, I don't suggest anybody in coming up in comedy necessarily do this, but for me, I, I just haven't wrote a, a set list in years. I oh, just, really? like, yeah, I just go up. Like I have material and like things that I want to talk about, but I always like having mental headspace to just not worry about any of that and like if something else interesting happens like so be it like when i did my anniversary show that whole everything i did none of it was written out like as as like a plan that's great wow man that's funny to hear i always write a set list that's the majority of comedians (laughs) 
Yeah. Overwhelmingly so. Wow, good for you. I mean, I suppose I'll bet you even even when I I was going to say if, but I'm not going to fucking say if. I'm going to say when I get to this place where I'm hell yeah, going off the top of my dome every fucking time. Right. I'm still going to write down a set list. Right. And you know why? It's because writing it down may, helps me remember it. Like, I barely even look at the list. Mm-hmm. I guess I do look at it. But mm-hmm. I don't really, like, intently read it. I just – it's a weird thing where, like, if I, if I write it down on a piece of paper and then I burn the list, right. it's kind of no different. <laughs> right. Because it helps me remember it. But that's impressive, man. I, I Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, thanks. I mean, I think I yeah. suffered for a long time because of it, but I like the freedom that it affords. I mean, we're all trying to learn, man. I Suffering from it is good. Yeah. Another thing Rory said to me once, he was like, I was like scared about trying something new mm-hmm. at some point on some show we were on. And and, uh, and he was like, oh, man, always do that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how? What? I mean, the, what if? I was just being totally honest. This is, this is an anxiety for me that stays pretty present that I think a lot of us have, mm-hmm. which is like, ah, what if other comedians don't think I'm funny? What if they stop thinking I'm funny? What if they're like, what happened to Dave? Uh, he's just bombing now. He mm-hmm. sucks now. And Rory was like, well, that's going to happen for sure. Mm-hmm. There's nothing you can do about that. Uh, but real comedians will respect that you're trying something new. Yeah. And you don't want somebody who sees you trying out something new and or trying out something or trying out a different part of comedy that you haven't been focusing on right for a while and and then they're like what happened to him fuck them right and that's i try to remember that because that's true it's like stand-up isn't one thing stand-up is 500 things right and you can't learn every single part of them all at once right you have to like focus on different aspects of it and when you're doing that you have to like deprioritize other parts of it like i remember i went through in 2013 and 14 and I guess 2013 and 14, I was like really prioritizing mm-hmm. riffing and right. talking about the room and being right. in the moment. And I noticed that my written jokes were not doing well. And so then mm-hmm. I had to like really focus on writing. Yeah. And it, man, I bombed a lot. And mm-hmm. uh, I would say even like, that's the one that I have the most learning curve with. I, I I was like, I have a little bit of a propensity for performing and writing is taking a lot more work for me. And that's right. just how it is, you know? So mm-hmm. it's just so much learning. Absolutely. Um, and I, I will say the people that are like, they, they like on the drop of a hat, like say you suck because they saw you bomb twice or something that like, that diminishes stand up into not an art form. Like, oh, this is just yeah. like a skill game when there is right. so much artistry to it. And in the art of it, there are things that, you know, maybe you as a person aren't going to like from yeah. that artist. And that's just how it goes. That's with everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But, but that's where I, I feel like even now, I mean, I think this one of my sort of like overarching goals is like to, in everything that I do to get people to recognize comedy as an art form. <laughs> yeah. And comedians making fun of comedy does not help. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> totally. 
I mean, also the amount of times that you'll hear a comedian say, this is not an art form. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Even, certainly even, does not help. Kyle Kanane has even said that, and I love Kyle. And he comes up with some of the most artful writing in stand-up, I think. Yeah, I I will say that, yeah. I, I mean, Kyle is undeniably an artist. And yeah. for Kyle to say that, it's... I mean, he's so... I hate to reduce it to saying it's like just part of his thing to act yeah. like that. But right. There's some version of saying that that is like nodding to the fact that it's art. Like it's part of his art right. to acknowledge the the weakness in what he does. Right. Right. Like I feel like it's obvious to people who know him and are fans of him. Right. That when Kyle says comedy isn't an art form what he's saying is i'm not special right (laughs) what he's trying to say is like right which is like a big part of what he does and a big part of what i like about what he does he's like he's like i'm up here on stage which in the spotlight and i have tv credits and money right uh and like not a ton of money but you know i'm i'm not saying he's rich i'm saying he makes a good salary for what for his career and uh and he's saying, like, this is a thing that the market values mm-hmm. and that people value and people say makes me special. Right. But I'm telling you that no one is fucking special. <laughs> <laughs> and I think that's like a big part of why he's great. Yeah. He's another one of those guys who, who very has a very distinct thing. Yeah. That he hits on over and over and over again, like I was saying about Jake Weissman, but it feels right. completely genuine. So it's great. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Denim what's is that thing that. Act. Sorry for interrupting, but what's that thing that he said? He like the first time he did shows in London, mm-hmm. they there was like a fucking review of his in the local paper. Do you know? Oh this yeah, bit? this is off of Death of the Party, I think. Yeah, yeah. yeah they yeah. called him like a like a disgusting misanthrope or something. Yeah, yeah. Like that. Sad, sad yeah. disgusting misanthrope, something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is is like a. It's so funny, like. <laughs> Nothing. It couldn't have been a better thing to happen to Kyle Kinane. Yeah, like uh, a major paper in a foreign country misunderstanding the exact thing he's doing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's just yeah. like, thank you so much for being that stupid. <laughs> right. <laughs> I always loved that a lot. Yeah. Some I I. I uh, I remember Ryan Stout telling me with one of his albums, he said that somebody, it, this isn't verbatim, but somebody told him it was like, or wrote about it as like, this is one of the worst albums of comedy I have ever heard. Wow. Or something like, to what? that effect. And he was like, that's actually a great review. Like, I yeah. want to tell people that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Especially like, Yeah, I mean, what would suck would be if the review said this wasn't funny. Yeah. But calling something like a bad comedy album is is weird. It's like, yeah. what does that mean? Mm-hmm. You, it didn't, just say it's not funny. Right. But you, but in order to write it down, it had to affect you in some way. I think is probably what Ryan meant. Like, this person felt affected by it. Right. And there's, there's also like, Ryan is, 
is and should be confident that he's good at stand up. Like oh yeah. Yeah. That's his yeah. thing. <laughs> right. Yep. Right. And his comedy's very like I wonder which album it was cuz he does have that one like one of his albums. I mean all of all of it's very dark. Right. But wasn't doesn't one of the albums have like a fuckload of suicide jokes? Yeah. I forget which one. I mean, I think he like tries to play with fire even a little bit more than Jesselnick does. Cause like, yeah, Anthony Jesselnick plays like a wrestling heel and everybody knows that. But Ryan very much wants to just like out clever everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he doesn't really care that you uh, can't that you're made uncomfortable by the concepts he's expressing. I will say that I I know Ryan as like a really sweet guy and I absolutely cares Mm -hmm. if it hurts people. Right. uh, Which is why you'll never hear something like attacking a group. No, but like, you know, the darkness, he'll just go all the way dark because he doesn't care that it makes you uncomfortable. No, because it's not his responsibility. And I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and yeah, that's another reason why, probably why he was excited because yeah. the, the likelihood of someone being like, this sucks is like, they weren't, they could, they didn't want to listen to something about suicide, man. I saw drew Michael do mm-hmm. a set once. He said one of my favorite things, Probably my favorite thing I've ever heard anyone say about suicide and one of my favorite things I've ever heard someone say about comedy. He was on stage at my show, Good Heroin. Mm-hmm. And uh, he that's a comedian who is is really good at. At like. Talking about a concept mm-hmm. that is not that is like foreign to a lot of people right. and uh, and like really concisely bringing you into where he's at with it so he can do jokes about it. And so he does right. like a lot of jokes about mental health in that way that it, that are really great. And so he's like talking about suicide and he's suicidal or has been a lot in his life. I am. Mm-hmm. You have been a bunch in your life. Mm-hmm. I love suicide jokes. Yeah. And I don't feel, they don't scare me. I don't no. think they're going to send me off the fucking deep end. I don't right. think they're going to send anyone off the fucking deep end, quite frankly. No. And, um, but they tend to bother people who are, who have lost people to suicide in their life. Right. And um, and this is a thing that I like, don't I, this is one of the things where even though I, I try to be really sensitive to the idea of like mm-hmm. hurting people like I don't want to I don't want to say words that take people to a place that right. I think I don't want to trigger anyone. I'm not interested in that. I don't think sending someone to a dark place that they didn't sign up for going to a comedy show, whether it's like a racist place or an abuse place. I'm not interested in doing that to people. And so I, I, I don't, I work on not having that shit in my premises, but I also like dark shit and Mm -hmm. I don't care about fucking with people in ways where like, cause some people are unfair anyway. Right. One of those ways that I don't care is with suicide. And, uh, cause I think, I think that if it doesn't actually affect you, Mm -hmm. if it's someone else in your life and you're just getting sensitive on their behalf, Right. Then that's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and mm-hmm. um, so anyway, Drew's doing a set and he's talking about killing himself. 
mm-hmm. and I'm like loving it. And someone in the crowd gets really bothered by it. And right. he goes, you're, so you don't like these jokes? And she's like, yeah, I don't like these jokes. And he's like, why? And she's like, my friend, my brother killed himself. <laughs> and Drew goes, well, he would have loved this joke. <laughs> <laughs> and, and like, he's right. Right. He's right. And that's a dark thing to say to her at that moment. Yeah. You know, that's tough. And I'm sure she was mad. And right. uh, she she's allowed to be. Did but she fucking, leave? I, lo- I lost. She didn't. And mm-hmm. I don't remember. I think he might have gotten her back. I don't know. But mm-hmm. I lost two friends to suicide in right. the pandemic. Right. And you're not going to convince me to not do suicide jokes. No. But, yeah, you're just not going to. But anyway, um, you know, Ryan, like somebody saying, like, fuck this because it's suicide jokes. Oh, my God. What right. a bigger compliment. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Oh, man. I definitely want to hear more about the return of good heroin, but how about we do a little bit of comedy news, Dave? Sure. Cool. So first on the docket... Pen 15 on Hulu, which we admonished earlier. Uh, did we? Uh, we, we, oh, yeah. uh, yeah, we did because they changed uh, punk ass bitch to this fool. Oh, Hulu. I thought you meant Pen 15. No, not Pen um, 15. Oh, no, no, no. I love Pen 15. Yeah, me too. Um, uh, creators Anna Conkle and Maya uh, Erskine are going to end it with season two. Um, they, That's a bummer, man. It's a bummer, but also I get it. I mean, like, you know, it's such a, I mean, how much longer are they going to play tweens like before 9-11, you know, <laughs> like how much longer can they drag out that timeline? <laughs> yeah, totally. I yeah. mean, right. I guess they could do a 9-11 episode. Right. But uh, that wouldn't really fit the vibe of the show. No, I'm sure that both you and Hampton Young would love to write that as a spec pilot. Oh, absolutely. Oh, yeah. man. I, uh, pen 11. <laughs> uh, uh, dude, yeah, I mean, that's a bummer because that's one of the um, rare cases of like a completely unique comedy show that exists right now. Right. Um, that's like so special in its own right. But I also really respect that. Yeah. Ending a project when you feel like the project has reached its natural end is something I really wish a lot more creators did. Yeah. Instead of just trying to milk it for money or fame or whatever the fuck. Right. Because, I mean, you you will, even if, I mean, this is an outsider, or an outsider meaning I'm not them looking uh, in, you know, to their process, but they'll come up with something else. Like, don't worry yeah. that, like, this is, it, it for just this idea and you'll like well, you'll have maybe that. they won't and mm-hmm. uh that would suck career-wise for them right but but for the sake of this project it will exist as a complete piece of art right that they as creators and fans of it can be completely proud of mm-hmm. as an entity right whereas like continuing to do something past where you think it should go opens you up to making things you don't like. And right. then if you're making things you don't like, 
maybe other people like them more, but maybe not. And yeah. so, like, the only thing worth doing is something that you yourself can defend. Right. When other people have problems with what you're doing and you can't defend it, well, then you're just like a hack. That's what a hack is. Right. Um. Yeah. So good for them. That's great. Yeah. And yeah, and they'll then, be fine. They're fucking geniuses. Yeah, they'll be absolutely. They'll be excellent. so fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but the, uh, the second season of Pen Fifteen, after their animated special, which they made during lockdown, uh, is due out soon on Hulu. Uh, next story: The Simpsons, which is now all on Disney Plus and has been for I think a year. Um, now, see, there's a show. There's an example of a show that. Uh, that hasn't that definitely uh, has a long way to go before it needs to wrap up and be a complete project. You know what I mean? Twenty sixteen. Then I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think uh, I, I think seventy seasons of an adult cartoon is when the project has reached its natural end. Right. It's honestly irritating to me that it still exists, but I, one of my favorite shows of all time. Go on. Sure. I mean, that is the yeah. confounding nature of the sense. So annoying. So Disney Plus just launched in Hong Kong uh, specifically, mm. and uh, which apparently is still a special administrative re uh, region in China, even though it's pretty much treated like mainland China. Uh, people have found that a episode where the Simpsons visit China and features a very clever Tiananmen Square joke um is missing and very individual episode is missing none of the other ones are hmm. and uh you know it just seems i know this joke yeah i remember the joke like i don't actually remember the joke but i remember the imagery i remember the guy getting out of the way of the tank that was the right joke or maybe it was homer getting out of the way of the tank i don't know well but there anyway. okay then there's like more there's more than the one that i remember and i was able to find a picture of is that there's this big plaque that they walk up to that says in 1989 on this spot nothing happened <laughs> oh my god yeah and uh yeah so that episode is missing and it seems very uh you know even though there hasn't been commentary from Disney or uh, the People's Republic of China that like their sensitivity about their own history and their standing in the world uh, and their the image that they project um, is so sensitive that uh, yeah they're censoring that they don't want it they don't want Tiananmen Square brought up they don't want to recognize Taiwan as a country I mean like in the the yet to um, be released Top Gun there was like apparently a reference to Taiwan being a country and uh, that caused problems like it wouldn't be released in China if that was like a thing wow mm -hmm. I mean what a thing to be talking about on a comedy podcast <laughs> what a what a piece of comedy news mm -hmm. Does Chi I think that China mm -hmm takes itself a little seriously oh yeah <laughs> why would that be dave i i don't mean to totally skewer china uh -huh. but um damn that is a level of anxiety about your own totalitarianism that is uh 
<laughs> I mean, like, why be totalitarian if you got to be worried about shit like that? You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> I, <laughs> I feel like I feel like your authoritarian rule should supersede the episode of The Simpsons you're worried <laughs> about people seeing. Right, man. That's right. funny. And it's definitely like, I mean, obviously there's cultural differences, but like, I think at some point with at least a lot of American childhoods, you learn, I think a good majority of people learn that like it, a good way to sort of strategically handle bullying is like not give it any power, like try to, you know, that doesn't always work in their difference, but like if it's a lot of name calling or whatever, just like don't engage with it, don't give it any power, it'll right. go away. And yes. I feel like Xi Jinping has not learned that. Yes. Did you see that they skipped um, Greek letters of uh, coronavirus mutations because of his name? I did not, but that is so funny. That's almost... That's why it's Omicron. Yeah. Because between Mu and Omicron is Kai. You're right. X-I. Yeah. And that's how you spell his name. And they were like, let's just not. Right. Name you know, uh, the... <laughs> yeah. enshrined in the People's Republic, and they all voted on this, They uh, is the doctrine. You know you know how the countries have doctrines. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It is. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I you know, who knows if this is an exact translation, but at least this is what's printed in uh, mainstream media. Um, there, the People's Republic of China doctrine is Xi Jinping thought. Wow. Yeah, and that's put into Chinese textbooks as well. Holy moly. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to do stand up there. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, to. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, people have done it, but definitely you are watched. Uh, you know, uh, I just like I hope she understands that the more that you care about this shit, the more people are going to do it. Well, the problem, though, is that they are a superpower that is now wealthier than us. So it's not like he has a lot of evidence that acting differently. Uh is in their favor well i i mean wealth wise it's like i think splitting hairs and they also have a lot of their own domestic problems like they have their own islamophobic problem which they just totally want to ignore and they have a lot of border issues with india and like if you live in a rural part of china um you're just like the the, the chinese government has not done nearly enough for you and that's why like when natural disasters happen in a lot of china like tons of people die yeah yeah um off of like they there are basic infrastructure things that they could have done that they just haven't done because they're more concerned about cities and even with that, you think we have a smog problem in LA? Like we haven't gotten to the point where we're selling canisters of oxygen. Are they? Like, yeah, they are. Whoa, I didn't know that. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's bad. Well. Yeah. I think uh, I disagree. I think it's good. <laughs> it's good. It's good. China's good, and America uh -huh. is bad. And you. Can so uh, catch Dave's like. <laughs> middle kingdom tour in 2024 yeah no yeah, yeah. 
No, I'm not saying this for any reason. I'm just saying that I think that the government of China is uh, generally always in the right. And, right. um yeah, everything they do is good. Mm-hmm. And uh, you can see me at the Shanghai Comedy Store on, <laughs> on the, you know, the rest of the riff. Right. <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, man, that's great. What else is going on in comedy news? Um, well, Nicole Byer is going to have her latest special out. Um, that would be her six, second six, Netflix six. special. Huh? I said six, 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 six. She's great. She's great. A uh, big, beautiful weirdo that it will be due out on Netflix December 7th. A rather quick turnaround. I think she taped it. Uh, I want to say September. And oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And uh, I think that will be her first hour special. She did a half hour special a few years ago when Netflix did that global stand up special event where they released like 30 or 40 specials from like different English language countries around the world. That's right. Comedian world. I remember that. Their American choices were Nick Swartzen, Delia, and Nicole. Funny. <laughs> Isn't it? And it's so interesting, man, that comedy is this thing that the world just looks at as all one big, the same thing. Mm-hmm. And everyone who does stand up is the same. And then Delia Swartzen and Nicole Byer, who could not make more different content. Yeah. <laughs> That's just so, so strange. It Swartzen, is. Really? Yeah. I mean, Nick Swartzen is one of the funniest comedians of all time. I just didn't realize that he was still out here making stand up shit. I had no idea. Yeah. But I mean, that's it. Like, I mean, there's, I think, a, a road you choose when you get to that level of success with stand up where like you know getting there you there are certain like rooms or clubs or theaters that you play to get to a certain level that you think all right i don't have to play these anymore but i feel like part of being the artist in comedy is like you're gonna still play those places because that's what's gonna like push you forward and like really have you have that room to experiment because that as you were saying earlier if all you play is theaters you have that theater level expectation yeah and like that uh produces if like like if that's your only environment of creativity then that produces like a certain thing and uh, like you're only catering to your fans and that becomes so insular yeah well, Good hey, heroin is, is has been officially back for what two months now? Ah, something like that month. Who knows, dude? I one don't of, care. One of <laughs> all right. <That's laughs> moving on. Um, <laughs> uh, no, it, I mean it has been one of the best LA shows for years, even as a, what is a bi-weekly storytelling show under the brand two headed beast. Yeah. 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 Uh, that was different. I wouldn't call them the same thing. I mean, it was at the same venue and it was on the same night, I guess, but it was monthly yeah. back then. Right. It was a storytelling show I did with Jake Weissman. And then I stopped doing that and we didn't do it, uh, anything there for like a year and a half. Right. And then Matt and I started good heroin 
And right. uh, yeah, I mean, it's we celebrated our fifth anniversary right mm -hmm. before the pandemic. Wow. Started. So technically, if you're just going by the years, Good Heroin has been around for seven years when mm -hmm. 2022 starts. Wow. We didn't do it, obviously, in the pandemic. Right, right. Uh, yeah, but it's back, and it's great, man. It's so much fun. It's just yeah. fun. It's just yeah. good. It's easy. It seems like it easy, picked up right where it left off. Yeah, which is the only thing that bothers me about it. Really? How so? Yeah, because nothing should be the same after no, the pandemic as before. Mm -hmm. I think that's insane. We all just, right. like, go to this place. It's the same amount of people. It's it. I mean, I'm not like I, I'm being a little bit of a rascal right now. I, mean, I, don't, <laughs> I, I don't like actually care, but right. uh, it is. It is like the thing I've been thinking and I've talked to a bunch of people about it, how like good heroines stories is great. That back patio is great. The people that come are great. The comics we book are great. I'm great. Obviously, uh, <laughs> good heroine. Right. Uh, all my friends who come hang out. It's all great. The mm -hmm. way that people hang out, the uh, how it packs out, mm -hmm. uh, how like the amount of people fits perfectly into that space, right? All great, but like we went through a whole fucking pandemic, and it's the exact same as it was at the beginning. That's maddening. It's, yeah. I I am, like what? <laughs> kind of right. It's just kind of weird. It's like what? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but. But I'll also say this. Good Heroin was kind of always that. We yeah. started it, and pretty much right away, it was full every week. And we've right. had, like, in seven years of doing it, we've had three weeks mm -hmm. where not every seat was full. And right. maybe only two. Yeah. I actually remember very specifically, so the year that I did Just for Laughs, mm -hmm. uh, my new faces class mm -hmm. was a really good one. Right. A lot of great stand-ups in it. Right. And it was also the year that I'm sure you remember this year. Mm -hmm. um, the unrepped showcase mm -hmm. was a shit show. And it was just like so many mistakes were made on all sides that it right. just like really fucked over the unrepped. And right. it was a really good class. Like, so I was in the repped showcase. And if you're listening, you don't know what we're talking about. That's crazy because you're listening to the fucking Comedy Bureau co podcast. So you should know <laughs> what New Faces is. But right. New Faces is like a, a, a group of comedians selected by Just for Laughs to go to their Montreal festival every year in the summer. And it, we all try to get it mm -hmm. the entire time. Ever since we started stand up, we're all showcasing and practicing and trying to get our six minutes to a place where where the Canadians will take us up there. And I right. finally got it after seven years of trying. They divide you into repped, unrepped, and characters. Repped right. and unrepped are all stand-ups. Repped is 25 people, I want to say. Mm -hmm. um, and the people in my rep showcase were like Naomi Ekparrigan, right. uh, Ahmed Weinberg, Tim Dillon, Chris Garcia, um, uh, Casey James Salengo, Evan Williams, everybody... Uh, was good and our showcases were in these big beautiful theaters sold out a thousand people all mm -hmm. the entire entertainment industry mm -hmm. was either there or had representatives there watching you right. and then for whatever reason they put the unrepped showcase in like a, a side theater inside of a mall at mm -hmm. eleven thirty on the Wednesday right 
uh, or no, at 11 on the Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that year, there were three, four midnight shows that happened every night of the week. And so the exact same time as their showcase basically was Goddamn Comedy Jam, mm-hmm. Roast Battle, Blake right. Griffin Show, and Andy Kindler's alternative show. Yeah. And they like oversold it weird where they like thought that uh, VIP pass holders had claimed all the tickets. So (laughs) they wouldn't let people in at 11 who showed up with tickets with like industry tickets because they thought it would be full. Right. But then none of those people that somehow claimed their VIP passes showed up. So th- they didn't let people in, and there was no one in there, so they delayed the show until 11.30, mm-hmm. and uh, and then it started at 11.30. George Wallace was fucking hosting. He's a genius, <laughs> right. but he's like, he's been doing hours in theaters on the road. He's not used to hosting these things. He does like 20 minutes up top. So it's 11.50 in a third full shitty theater mm-hmm. by the time the first comedian goes up, right. and... It's supposed to be people without representation showcasing for agents and managers, none of right. whom were let in there. And right. the ones that were let in left to go see their clients that are in roast battle. So there's right. like fucking me, Ahmed Weinberg, and Chris Garcia there to watch our friends. Right. And then I want to say 25 other people. Whoa. Empty room. The mic starts cutting out. People are <laughs> wasted in the crowd who are there. Janelle James got booed. Janelle <laughs> fucking James was there and she got booed. J.P. McDade, Ismael Lutfi, Danny Palumbo, fucking, anyway. Right. I bring all this up because Brendan Lynch Mm -hmm. was one of the comics who went up, and he's great. He's so good. Mm -hmm. And a a thing about Brendan that, like, everybody who's seen Brendan knows is that Brendan can eviscerate a crowd with crowd work. He can just, he's, he has great jokes, but if it's weird at all, he just lays into the crowd and he'll fucking destroy. If everyone's bombing, he'll destroy talking right. to the crowd. Mm-hmm. But he didn't do that, even though it was the least ideal comedy situation possible. Right. He did his jokes mm-hmm. and the mic cut out at two of his punchlines. And he's a one liner comic. It right. was like fucking crazy. And after his set, I uh, I asked him about it. I was like, what the fuck, man? Why didn't you lay into the crowd? You know, you would have crushed. And he was like, man, I've wanted to do JFL ever since I started stand-up. I'm doing my fucking jokes. Right. Which is one of my favorite things I've ever heard a stand-up say. Anyway, mm-hmm. all that happened. We're standing in the alley behind that theater. Mm-hmm. I've, I, I started talking about this because we were talking about Good Heroin and how it only had two bad mm-hmm. nights right. in seven years. We're in this alley hanging out, and Brendan's like, you know what, man? I write for Bill Simmons' fucking HBO show. Mm -hmm. I don't need reps. I don't need this shit. I'm fucking done with stand-up, man. I did JFL. I'm out of this. And I was like, do you want to do good heroin on Saturday? And he was like, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like me and David Borey and all these Uh guys died laughing and stuff. And uh, and then he came back and he did good heroin the Saturday after JFL and it was the only one that like no one came to. <laughs> it, was, it was like, man, I'm so sorry. <laughs> he was like, "Fuck this, dude. Fuck stand up. I hate stand up. I'm never doing it again." Well, um, damn. What's Brendan crush? I don't know. I haven't talked to him, but I would imagine he's still doing stand up. Right. He's so good at it. Yeah. And if he's not, I hope he he starts again because he's so good. 
Right. I mean, I, I forget who even told me this, but somebody in all my years in coming up that mentioned, like, if you don't think about quitting stand-up at least a couple dozen times, um, you're not doing it right. Yeah, it's not hard enough. Yeah. It's got to be. I mean, it should be hard. And if it's yeah. hard, you think about quitting. Yeah. That's just how it is. Right. And that's actually, you were saying earlier about how, like, even good comedians bomb sometimes. And like the yeah. like, and appreciating the artistry of it is like seeing people like like even if you're bombing is when you're good, people respect that you're trying. Yeah. And I hold the, that same belief with like open mics. Like I don't I don't fault people for being bad at open mics. That's what it's for. Yeah. I just want to see people try and swing for the fences and then grow from that. You know. Yeah. All right. I mean, good heroines back. Uh, what about you, Dave? And like, I, I mean, I feel like, and correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like through quarantine, you found sort of a new fire for stand-up. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I was saying earlier, I, I really have um, course corrected mm-hmm. uh, to, to focusing uh to like fully focusing on the craft and um yeah so i like honestly i was very career-minded and i needed to be i don't i don't mean to knock that as a thing to be because i do think you should be both i think you should be career and craft-minded and i think that you can do both at the same time i just don't think i should right now also it's partially because of quarantine you couldn't do stand up. I was completely like, I'm going to be a comedian out of my room. I'm going to Patreon and podcasts and all that shit. And, mm-hmm. and I've had to like, look at all that. And it drove me crazy. It drove me fucking crazy. Right. Patreons drive me crazy. I just sort of like having shit that I owe the world, all of the pressure of creating stuff for an audience that is paying is at this point. I have overdone that. I'm done. Mm-hmm. I have exhausted that amount, the amount that my brain can uh, do that, and I am going back to school. That's my mm-hmm. attitude. I'm like, uh, so I fucking I make my podcast with Caleb. We work on that. I, I make some merch. I I do tons and tons of stand up, and I write constantly. Mm-hmm. And that's my plan for a while. I like really. I'm I'm ready to do a shitload of stand up and and my podcast and nothing else because mm-hmm. i'm i wanna i don't know i'm ready to f- have fun and grow i'm ready to like really focus on the craft quarantine right. sucked fuck that oh, oh it did <laughs> oh yeah. it did did for everybody yeah i had to go to, through a second round of it jeez yeah because i had a breakthrough case of covid jeez sorry man yeah it's okay uh, i didn't like physically did not suffer but Three days in, because my roommate was, ex- I, we lived together, so she was exposed to me. Three days in, she blamed me for getting COVID and ruining her Thanksgiving plans. And then oh my God, did not talk to me or in hid in her room for four days straight. Oh my God, I'm so sorry. It was double quarantine. Well, quarantine also just do- doesn't feel good. No. But, yeah. I don't have a lot to report because I'm just doing stand up and happily so. Fuck right. work, dude. <laughs> stand no, up I think that's beautiful. sucks. Yeah. <laughs> no, but I think that is the beautiful thing. Uh, I mean, that you can fully 
con- like not only you're making room for yourself to fully concentrate on it, but that's the intention. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's good too. If you can feel like I can feel that I have more to offer. So right. let's find out what that is. Yeah. And simultaneously work. Focusing on careers sucks my creative energy out. And yes. I really learned that in quarantine. Also having a like. I, I re- this is what I want my creative life to be. I want to make a living doing it. I want to regularly make creative things and I want fans and I want to connect with those fans. But this model that has appeared in the past few years where you have a podcast that comes out weekly and a Patreon on which you put out probably weekly content, but at least regular content because they pay either monthly or yearly. What this model does to my brain is it makes me feel like I have homework and having owing people things Mm -hmm. it stresses me out and stress kills my creativity some people seem to flourish in this model and i don't know if it's because they are just so constantly creating that they crank it out and it doesn't feel like they owe the world something or just because their brain connects to stress or because their brain connects to that type of like relationship with fans i don't know but for me feeling like i have to do something makes me not want to do those things and i like i want to have a life in which i am organically creating things at a regular clip but also i need to be able to take breaks i need to uh be able to have months where i put out nothing and then months where i put out 10 things because i want to let my shit cook and i want to make stuff that sometimes Mm -hmm. has to cook and sometimes doesn't Right. I want to write stand-up bits. I don't want to have to put out a clip every Monday. You know right. what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that we, if if mm-hmm. I stay in this mindset right. where I'm that style of comedian that right. is like Patreon podcast, direct connection to fans, I'm signing myself up for a life where I have mandatory have to put that shit out regularly. And then, sure, I'll make however much money that is. I'll make a living. I'll make. A, I'll have a career, but I'm hindering myself from getting to a place where maybe I won't have to do that, and then I can make all sorts of different content that take all sorts of different times right. to, to make instead of marrying myself to the need to release like tons of different short form things weekly. And yeah, fuck that. I just don't want to be that. Absolutely, and then you know this makes me think of. I remember, I, I, I don't know if you like said it on a pot. You probably said it on a podcast. I don't know if you said it on stage, but I remember you talking about an email that Maria Bamford sent once. Oh, about uh, advice? Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, one, yeah. one of it being time. like, take breaks. Well, she asked a bunch of us to give her friend advice. Mm hmm. She like emailed a group of us and CC'd her friend and was like, this person's new to LA, give them LA comedy advice. Mm-hmm. And then at the end she gave her advice and her advice was take breaks. Hollywood can wait. It'll always be here. Take as long a breaks as you need. Mm-hmm. This is a woman who is maybe the greatest comedian of all time. Greatest it, comedian it, it, and human being. And went to a hospital for a break in her mental health right so she is she is who could tell you whether or not 
taking breaks are okay and good. <laughs> she is the one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, listen to her. Listen to Maria Bamford and take breaks. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that will be kind of a perfect note to wrap everything up on. Thanks again for joining me, Dave. Thanks for having me, man. Absolutely. Um, where can people find you online and what else would you like to promote? Uh, I'm at Dave to the Ross on everything. D A V E T O T H E R O S S. My website's Dave to the Ross.com. And the website has links to all my social media and to like, you can buy merch and albums are also free to listen to on Spotify and shit. Mm-hmm. And uh, really the thing I want to promote is my podcast. I have a podcast called what's it called with mm-hmm. Caleb Sinan. Uh, it's, it's stupid. It's just us being stupid. If you think I'm funny, listen to that podcast. It's just us being funny. It's right. called, what's it called? Because we don't uh, know what our podcast is called. <laughs> uh, that's and, beautiful. Uh, man. People, Truly. Thank you. Some people, I tell that and they're like, what? And that's great. And some yeah. people were like, oh, cool. And that's great too. Yeah. I don't give a shit. Yep. <laughs> I was going to finish that sentence, but I don't want to. Thanks That's all good, me. man. I mean, if they give you shit about the title, then just say crypto.com and it should. End. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Crypto.com presents what's it called. Yeah. You don't know <laughs> what our digital currency is called. Oh, my God. That's actually a joke in only murders in the building that it's presented by a sandwich shop. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyways, I, not to make this go longer. Um, I'm Jake Kroger. I created the Comedy Bureau. You can find the Comedy Bureau at thecomedybureau.com. At the Comedy Bureau across socials, you can find me on Instagram at Not the Supermarket and on Twitter at MFJ Kroger. There's so many great causes of support at this time. It's Giving Tuesday as we're recording this. So, uh, you know, find a mutual aid, find something to give to. And, uh, you know, your money and your time are definitely worth those. If you have any of that left over and some generosity, please support the Comedy Bureau. Because it's been going 11 years strong with me at the helm. Uh, and, you know, it'd be much appreciated. Uh, Dave, do you have anything to say as we sign off? No, I love you. <laughs> love you too, man. Uh, live, <laughs> live comedy, comedy of all kinds is happening. Please support it. It's great. And as the great Brody Stevens would say, enjoy it. Uh-uh. Comedy Bureau Field Report is recorded, produced, and edited by Jake Kroger. Music by Brian Granillo. Artwork by Andrew Delman and KT. And part of the Believe Podcast family. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.